Once two lifelong friends Grace Day Buddy Reed Of the Witcher series By Andrei Sapkowski Toss five stars to our podcast Internet of Plenty Internet of Plenty Oh Toss five stars to our podcast Internet of Plenty absolutely beautiful voice of charles before he was waging this battle with allergies that he's waging right now so if this is your first time tuning into the podcast know that that just wonderful intro that charles recorded is what represents his his true podcaster's voice (laughs) thank you for that disclaimer at the top welcome everybody to the friends talking fantasy podcast my name is charles and i am hopefully i'm waiting for my allergy medicine to kick in just took a bunch of it before recording and with me as always my lifelong friend and co-host dylan i'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend charles I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, and today is a special day because we are, if you couldn't tell from the intro, continuing our discussion of The Witcher. Uh, Today we have uh, The Sword of Destiny by Andrzej Sapkowski, another one of his short story collections that takes place before uh, the main main Witcher saga. Are we ready to just get into it? Should I start with a, a little bit more of an intro? Nah, I think we're good. What more is there to say? Not much. Let's just oh, like spoilers. Yeah, we will be we're... having spoilers of the sort of destiny and this, and I guess potentially the the TV series on Netflix too, because I expect we'll probably do a little comparison action there. Definitely, especially for some of these ones that were more prominently featured in the show. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to go story by story. There's about six short stories in this collection, and we'll, uh, we'll tackle them one at a time in, in order. So this is the, this is the sort of destiny. It, it continues along uh, where we left off from The Last Wish, and it follows the Witcher, Geralt of Rivia, as he battles monsters, prejudice, and his own destiny. As we said, it's it. this anthology. Thank you very much. As we said before, the events in this anthology set up the story for the Witcher saga novels and introduce characters that become major players, including Siri of Sintra. So let's get right into story number one The Bounds of Reason. Uh, in this story, Geralt of Rivia meets with a traveling knight, Borch, Borch aka Three Jackdoors and his bodyguards named T and they and they're on an adventure to see a green dragon and this green dragon you know they, it ends up they become part of a larger hunting party that includes good old dandelion and then you have yarp and zegrin a bunch of mercenaries and even uh Geralt's uh ex-girlfriend Yennefer nailed it again Charles you're, you're <laughs> on fire over there thank you I think 
so it's T and V. I, I was saying Taya and Vea, right? It could be. Uh, that sounds more yeah. right. I just gotcha. see the word T, you know, and I'm. You yeah, say it. I know you're a big, <laughs> big T guy over there, Charles. As am I, so I understand the move. Yeah, well, Charles, what were your thoughts and reactions to the bounds of reason? I thought it was okay. Um, I have to say the twist in this story, which again, spoiler warnings, I called from a mile away, like so far. The minute they start talking about golden dragon, I'm like, is this guy going to be a golden dragon? <laughs> like, is that what's happening right now? And the uh, forest, like the first time you read this? Yes, yes. Were, that's interesting. I don't know what I would or wouldn't have thought reading it the first time. I don't know that I thought that. I don't remember thinking that when I was watching the TV series. For yeah, the it's first not time. as obvious in the TV series for sure. But in the in the books, they're like, and he's like, and what do you think about gold dragons? And Geralt's like, I don't. They're not real. And he's like, okay. And then he like disappears when they find the dragon. And then he comes back. I'm like, this guy's the dragon. Give me a break already. And then it was the big reveal, surprising no one. So that was fine. You know, I I'm okay with it. Um. I kind of like the dynamic of this whole hunting party where they're kind of working together, but also looking to kind of backstab each other. Uh, it comes back to this conversation of what makes a monster that we talked about last week. So go check that episode out. But it kind of repeats love. itself here of dragons and is it ethical to kill dragons and, and Geralt's on team. No, they're sentient, majestic creatures. We shouldn't kill them. And Yennefer's like, they have magic properties, and the mercenaries like we could sell it for lots of money. So you get that different kind of exchange of ideas, which I thought was interesting. I thought so too. It's <laughs> I think something that comes up for me a lot with reading the short stories, uh, and I pretty much have the comparison point of the TV series having watched at first, so I keep doing that is comparing the two and i feel like they feel so much more whimsical than the way that it's portrayed in the show because they do have that fairy tale influence like there's all this like ooh duel with the dragon stuff yeah. going on and it's yeah. like i will challenge one of you to the to a duel and i won't use any magic and it's like uh, okay like this is happening now well it feels like the show is so much more Game of Thrones inspired and dark right. and gritty and stuff like that that it would it would never have the whimsy to just be like let's have duels with a dragon it, yeah. it results yeah. in just an all out brawl in the show and I think I lean a little bit toward liking the more modern grimdark type take so I was actually feeling like I liked the way the show did it better than I liked this but there's a charm to some of this dueling with the dragon stuff that happens yeah there's also the charm of when they go into the bar and he's like we'll buy everything keep the food coming and all this other stuff and you're like oh it's kind of kind of fun how he's like making the barkeeper's jaw drop as he keeps buying food and stuff like that so i do kind of 
like a bit of that whimsy, but I will say the uh, the episode in the show definitely trimmed a lot of the fat of this story. Like there was a lot that was in this short story in the book that we just did not need. It's like this weird gratuitous sexual stuff going on that you're like, I don't know if this has a place in today's conversation and that the yeah. show just totally was like forget it because the guy's like bring me a bathtub and we'll all go in and i'm like okay uh. <laughs> and he's like take your pick good Geralt. and i'm like oh gee yeah. so uh like the show definitely i'm sure there wasn't a very long conversation about <laughs> cutting it it's like yeah we're obviously not including those parts and you know that's kind of a a stain on an otherwise kind of fun story about a dragon. You know, it is what it is. I like how Yennefer was like hanging off a cliff and everyone's like, oh, good, <laughs> bye, and was willing to like let her die because she kind of alienated everyone by being a bit selfish, a bit arrogant. And uh, then when she's just dangling off a cliff for her life, they all kind of leave her except for the the chivalrous knight who only saved her to be like saving the the lady in distress you know so interesting little dynamic here not the greatest story in this collection but fine i'm with you on that all right anything else to say about three jack doors and knights and all that such and such Let's keep it moving then. We got another story here called A Shard of Ice. Geralt and Yennefer's new relationship is strained as they attempt to live together in the city of Agenval. A love triangle forms with Geralt, Yennefer, and the sorcerer Istred. This one I liked more, actually. I thought this was a really good short story, and it finally gives us like a look into Geralt and Yennefer's relationship dynamic which interestingly enough the last time we saw Yennefer was her introduction in the last wish where they like first met and then we go right into the bounds of reason where they've already like broken up and don't like each other so that was interesting to see that like flash forward where they're already uh over each other you know they're they, they're like jennifer's like don't call me yen like we're i'm only being nice to you because we have all these people around but i don't want to be around you and now we have a shard of ice uh now i guess like Geralt saved jennifer's life in that moment and they kind of got back together and now they're living in the big city and they're trying to make it work well yeah, to varying degrees, they're trying to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> I think Geralt is uh, obviously way more into Yennefer than Yennefer is into him, from what we can gather. it's That's my sense, at least early on here. Uh-huh. That's fair. You're, yeah, I'm getting some, some looks in the Zoom chat <laughs> from Charles. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it because I believe you, but, you know, I think this story, what I like about this story in particular is that it kind of sheds some insight into why Yennefer's not committing as much as you would expect her to because she clearly is in love with Geralt, but 
what I liked about this story was there's this moment where they're together, right? And girls kind of discovered that Yennefer is uh, two-timing him a bit <laughs> with with uh, with Istrid, and um, he confronts her about it. And then they have this really interesting kind of parallel dynamic where Geralt's kind of self-deprecating. He's like, oh, I was mutated when I became a witcher and I'm not capable of feeling, right? He calls himself a mutant. And then Yennefer also has a similar background where she's like, you sacrifice everything to become a sorcerer. And then she kind of says she feels like the the snow queen right which is the name of the city right the city's named after this snow queen and the shards of ice is kind of her wake where she these shards of ice kind of infatuate people with her and it's this like one-sided thing and it's kind of almost like destructive in its nature so it's interesting to see how the two of them they've kind of been mutated and and Yennefer is almost like afraid to to bring Geralt any closer because she's been so changed as a sorceress she's kind of destroyed everything about herself that she's really just kind of chasing connection after connection after connection and she's afraid of any kind of commitment so I thought it was interesting to get a little bit more insight into into her and why she's like that this idea of commitment and being afraid to embrace love and things as a result of her transforming into a sorceress that's well said Charles I think you're you're selling me a little bit more on this story than maybe I was before. I got a little distracted and, and caught up, I think, in this kind of like the two dudes uh, like fighting over a woman where yeah. she's like, oh, you two decide which one of you I'm going to end up with. I don't want it. Yeah. I mean, she does kind of make her own choice, I would say, at uh, at the end of this. So there's something to be said for that. But maybe, maybe if I gave it a, a reread, uh, I would be more yeah, into it and be able to sure. see more of the value of understanding Yennefer and where she's at psychologically. Because I think I was a little distracted in this one. <laughs> That's very fair. I will say uh, for for listeners, this is Dylan's first time reading this book and my second time. And this story benefits the most of all the short stories that we've read so far with the reread because it is kind of distracting, right? You're you're kind of shocked that um, you know, it's that scene where where Geralt and Istrid are talking in Istrid's library and they're having this back and forth exchange of wit and and um, eventually Geralt's like yeah well uh, I slept with Yennefer last night and then he's like hmm interesting I slept with her this morning and you're like what is going on <laughs> yeah. and, and and so you're kind of distracted by that and then they like challenge each other to a duel and you're for her hand or whatever and you're like this is also kind of weird and Eastred even has this line because like sorcerers change their appearance right and he's like uh, men uh, like sorcerers change their uh, uh, image to look more prestigious where uh, uh, sorceresses change their appearance to look more attractive and you're like oh god well, this is all kind of distracting yeah. and and um, out of touch with uh, today's way of telling a, a fantasy story so um, really where this story shines is you, you put all that away Again, another kind of like taint on an otherwise perfectly good story of Geralt and Yennefer and why they have this will-they-won't-they they relationship. Because like, I feel like a lot of 
relationships and fantasy they're kind of finding ways to not be together and and it comes across that way with Geralt and Yennefer occasionally where it's like they just decide they hate each other at this moment so to try and analyze this conversation a little more and figure out exactly why it is they can't commit to each other is the most interesting thing about the story that's fair Charles I mean I will say this kind of reminded me of that scene in The Office where I guess this is a very light spoilers for The Office, like the NBC sitcom, <laughs> if people care about, you you know, the one I'm talking about? I guess. Uh, where uh, Dwight and Andy duel over Angela. <laughs> I like could not get that out of my head when this was happening. Oh, and that, that is scene a very in The similar Office relationship is so silly. <laughs> It's like that scene in the office is so funny. So I was like, that was in my head while I'm trying to actually ingest this story. So I, I appreciate that you have the the deeper analysis of this. I'll say that the a thing that stuck out to me, and I feel like this lays the groundwork for a lot of the things that come up for Geralt later on, uh, is that conversation that Geralt and Istrid have where Istrid is like Geralt you can't feel emotions anything that you are sensing is an emotion is more of a like it's like a memory of what an emotion should be like or what emotion you should be feeling here but you can't Mm -hmm. actually feel it and Geralt something I really like about Geralt is when people say things like that to him he's not just like lashing back out he's kind of like is that true (laughs) and he actually reflects and introspects about those things and at times he seems to at least toy with the idea that his like feelings for Yennefer and all that kind of stuff aren't actually real emotions and and he deals with that later on in some of these other stories we'll get to too that's true. And Yennefer also kind of feels that way. You know, she compares herself to the Snow Queen, right? It's like, do people just like me because I have magic, right? And that kind of pulls people in. They don't like me. They like the magical aura that, like, I'm attracting people because I'm dangerous and magical and whatever, uh, which is interesting. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you, and what you just said reminded me of it, is does Geralt have feelings? And can Geralt feel human feelings and everyone tells him he can't and sometimes he's very insecure about it but I'm on the fence I feel like he obviously does and I feel like this idea of the sort of destiny as a whole when we get into more of these stories and more into the theme of the overall anthology is kind of him accepting that there's more to him than he's willing to believe as a witcher right it's not as simple as you're totally sterile of emotion it's there's definitely something more going on here uh with you and this is kind of an introduction to that so does Geralt have feelings it's I would say he does (laughs) I'm not sure it's kind of weird how they like definitively say witchers don't but yet he feels all the time so interesting it seems like he does i i feel like i could be wrong about this i wasn't keeping an eye on this as i was reading through but sepkovsky and the english translator that we're reading from are 
pretty deliberate in not throwing in lines like uh, Geralt felt a pang of anxiety at this thing that happened. It's right. possible. I'm sure any huge Witcher fans like feel free to reach out and let us know. Hey, there's actually this line on this page. But <laughs> in something I more, he does feel feel if fear if you remember. Um, mm, but that's, that's all the way at the end of this book, right? And it's at a very very pivotal moment. Yes, at the end he of does. The book. Where she's like, where destiny? You're right. He meets destiny, and they're, mm-hmm. he's looking for Yennefer's name, and he's afraid to read the last name. And she's like, "You're afraid, aren't you?" And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> so, but that's You're all right. the way at the end of this book. That's a that's a great point, Charles. And I think there's there's something to be said for that, as maybe as definitive as the proof we're going to get i think destiny calls him out for having all these body language signs of yeah hey you're feeling fear right now and he doesn't deny it so right and we'll I have mean, more and i have a lot to say yeah. about this but i want to okay. wait until something more when we talk about it sure, because sure. there's so much going on in that story in particular yeah. um but yeah does girl feel it's at this point it's up for debate and that's kind of what this story sets up it's like Geralt are you really just a mutant that can't love or whatever isn't capable of love or feelings that's kind of what this story is setting up and then we kind of get this resolution in something more which is a much better story (laughs) I I will say I think Istrid I could be totally off on this or some character says to Geralt like hey you can feel some of these really base things like anger right but you can't feel complex emotions right like he does kind of get love into and that. affection so fear is pretty a pretty base emotion too That's so fair. I don't know if for sure that resolves that like can Geralt love question <laughs> right right it's true but Istrid also like it's very apparent how few people understand what witches are in mm-hmm. this world, you know? Geralt's always explaining what he does, and people are always trying to use them for the wrong thing, and there's all kinds of prejudice around witchers, so who knows what's really true or not? And that's what the story kind of sets up, is this idea of um, what Geralt is capable of feeling and his relationships and things like that, which was the best part of the story. The whole love triangle and all this Istrid stuff I could do without, but solid story nonetheless. Yep, and it, shout out to show fans who get to see Istrid as an actual character outside of this one story. It was <laughs> when I, I didn't recognize the name, but I was like, oh, is this the the guy from the show who she is has this history with right from back before she even transformed right she has these encounters with him right through the portals that's him yeah that's That's what i always suspected Um, yeah i googled it because i was like oh they speak about her having a history and stuff and there's a lot of this that the show uh, took stuff that was just kind of exposition in the books and then ran with it as this is now a storyline yeah and that is definitely one of them. And I think that's something I, I gained a lot of appreciation for the show, actually, reading this book, especially because I was like, oh, wow, 
they took a lot of these almost throwaway lines and created really compelling stories based on them. Oh, and then yeah. when you could encounter Istrid related stuff in the show later on, you get a lot more of the like ex- you have a lot more experience that gives you that understanding why Yennefer has such complex feelings toward Istrid. Here it's kind of just like, oh yeah, we've got a history, and he just represents that in this one story. But you get to actually see Yennefer go through it in the show. So that was cool. That is cool. And it's also interesting that Bounds of Reason was in the show, and Shard of Ice is not. So I think they invested the time in introducing Istrid and getting more of that relationship built so that it's much more of a love triangle when all three of them are in, are in the same room, you know? So I'm sure we'll be seeing more of Istrid and Geralt and Yennefer <laughs> in the upcoming season of the show. For sure, Charles. And I think something the show did really well that we're noting here is develop stronger female characters or at least give us the time with those female characters to see them develop and i think that they benefited a lot from letting that kind of yennefer's difficulty deciding between Geralt and Istrid in the short stories is about Geralt, right. but Yennefer deciding between Geralt and Istrid in the shows, I mean, is to some extent and will be, I think, about Yennefer. And I think that's an improvement. For sure. Very well said. The show definitely is investing in multiple characters, right? We've gotten the origins and motivations and things of. Siri and Yennefer as well as Geralt and we're not just getting kind of exposition dumps as to what happened to everybody it's all kind of the show is taking those exposition moments like you said and building out these character driven moments which uh, benefits the show greatly and I'm sure will pay off in in season two as the as we get more of these stories that are you know more complicated with relationships we having that backstory will make it so much uh, better for us as the watch as the audience so for sure um the next story which is probably the most um inconsequential story of them all is eternal flame uh, story number three where Geralt and dandelion visit the big city of novigrad and find themselves in the middle of a wild chase for the shape-shifting doppler known as doo impersonating a halfling merchant named Dante Biebervelt, all while avoiding Chappelle, the head of the city's ruthless secret police. <laughs> These are some interesting names. I think I want to give all credit to the person who translated this. Uh, I I said last time it was David French, um, and that is true for this book. There actually was a different um a different translator for really? the other one, Charles. Oh. Yeah, so I didn't notice the difference, but uh, the last book, to correct myself last time, The Last Wish, was Danuja Stock. Wow. S-T-O-K. Okay. okay. So now that that's out of the way, <laughs> I think both of them have done an awesome job, but there are these kind of weird moments where the names don't translate particularly well and they also keep calling dandelion a poet instead of like a bard or yeah. a, a 
I don't know what else he would be called. He's a bard. Right. Uh, and they said, in the, at least in the version I was reading, they said the Sword of Destiny is has two blades. I was oh, like, right. what? <laughs> it doesn't, I think they mean two edges. Double-edged. Yeah, double-edged it's, sword. It's a That's double-edged like, sword. Yeah. <laughs> Not uh, so, has two blades. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Oh, I, I kind of found that the translation for the first book was a little bit stronger. Uh, and I feel like That's the series fair. as a whole does kind of suffer from being translated but uh, they're just little throwaway moments it's not like though the story itself was too distracting it, it was just thing, moments like that where you're like okay this definitely has the vibe of something that was uh, uh loosely translated that's fair language so yeah uh do do the doppler i love um, that line where he's like my friends call me do do i'm like what that's not even friends. your real name yeah you yeah, get new friends doo-doo <laughs> <laughs> they're not your friends <laughs> and that goes they're for all you listeners you. out there <laughs> if anyone <laughs> if your nickname is doo-doo reassess your <laughs> reassess your social standing and maybe make some new friends <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> that yeah. line stuck with me it's like my name is blah 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 but my friends call me doo-doo <laughs> Like no one's gonna say anything about that. Just roll with it. <laughs> Maybe doo doo means something else in Polish. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it does, or at least it doesn't mean what it means in English. So, yeah, I <laughs> we got a little distracted by by the names here. So I'll try to bring us back to the story itself. The story uh, we spoke some about the whimsical nature of some of these stories. Yeah, and there were times while I was reading this one where I'm like what am I reading here? Because, like, the story is probably the least focused on Geralt of any of them, I would say. it's It feels like Dainty Bieberveld is, like, the central <laughs> character in some yeah. ways. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, and then there's gnomes coming in, they keep, and it's like, bye, 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 yeah. all this, yeah. like, weird scenes that were funny. It was interesting, but it almost felt like I don't want to say it. Well, I don't think this is an insult. It kind of felt like uh, it was a just a departure, I'll say, from uh, everything else that was going on, like a uh, filler episode. That's kind of yeah, what I was it's very thinking. much like a filler episode. It's very much yeah. like a comedic relief moment and has no uh, impact on the story at large, doesn't introduce us to anyone of consequence or set up anything or give us insight into any of these characters it's just kind of like it's nice to see Geralt and Dandelion almost like having fun kind of you know getting a yeah. little more relaxed uh which was fine I always liked them as a duo but you know I don't have too much to say about uh eternal flame other than <laughs> the doo-doo thing I'm, I'm pretty good yeah I think I'm I'm willing to move on then too. All right. A fun little side story, a little bit of comedic relief. Uh, oh, oh Charles, yes. my last bit is that I think this is another thing where there's a Doppler in the in the short stories here and obviously doesn't have much impact big picture and a thing that the show ran with and seems to be a pretty central part of the show. Yeah. So that's another interesting thing that I, I just noted there. 
Yes, the Nilfgaardians used um, Dopplers for uh, espionage, which is interesting. And in this, it was just used to, I don't know what, to buy <laughs> to buy stocks in things, futures on, on string and yarn and all kinds of other stuff. So very interesting. Um, not too much weight to it. So we'll move right along to give ourselves more time for some of these meteor stories here. Uh, a little sacrifice. Uh, this is another little Geralt dandelion duo. They are attempting to earn some money by working for the cheap and stubborn Duke Aglaval. And while working for the Duke, they meet characters such as Sheenots the mermaid and Essie the bard. This was an interesting story, Charles. I'll mm-hmm. say that. This had some of the highest highs and lowest lows I felt like of the <laughs> of the short stories. Like some really interesting conversations that continue the does Geralt have emotions bit right are in this between Essie and, or Little Eye. Um, not yeah. to be confused with Little Finger. Um, Definitely not. The, <laughs> Yeah, those conversations where she's kind of telling him, hey, you're really sensitive, and he's like, no, I'm uh, muted, I can't feel anything. Those were, I think, really interesting to read. And then there's some of these low moments again with uh, a a female character where she's just like, I love you for no reason, (laughs) and I knew it the moment I saw you, and and I guess makes sense when you're fairy tale inspired, but just has not aged super well. And I was like, uh, like, I don't know. It aged better than some of these other moments in the earlier stories, for sure. But like you said, it's drawn on these fairy tales, right? It's just kind of a subversion of the fairy tale where it's like they she falls in love immediately, but it's one-sided. And then you have what I consider another one of those highest highs, which is the ending of this story. And Essie's kind of fate in this whole thing i thought was really well written by andre sapkowski this idea of like they had this fleeting moment this idea of like this little sacrifice you know and they keep saying it over and over again and it means different things to every character in this short story you know andre likes to do this where he (laughs) says the same thing over and over again like with a shard of ice like truth is a shard of ice love is a shard of ice you're a shard of ice she's a shard of ice so it's like okay well i I, okay everybody gets a shard of ice (laughs) everyone's a shard of ice (laughs) so it's like i kind of feel like that coming into this one where it's like Everyone has to sacrifice a little bit, but it is kind of an interesting insight into relationships. You know, you have um, the Duke and you have Sheenots the Mermaid and the the idea of this little sacrifice of like, he's got to show me that he's interested. You know, he's infatuated with me, but he's not like putting in any of the effort to actually connect or show his love beyond just infatuation. And then you have uh, Geralt and Essie, where Essie is, again, it's another one-sided relationship. And this idea of this little sacrifice of like, okay, we'll have this moment. Geralt's like, am I taking advantage of the situation? Do I even care at all? And he's got this, you know, he's weighing the decision of to pursue a relationship with Essie or not in his mind. And it's all around the idea of like, 
who who's going to put in that little sacrifice in order to make this thing work and um just a interesting little short story idea here not too deep or developed i don't think compared to some of these other ones but still brings up some interesting conversations well, we'll see if it does, Charles, because <laughs> we're we're having one right now. So yeah. we'll see we'll see how interesting this does or does not get. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll say that it brings up some stuff about this, like when you just can't get a certain person out of your head for whatever reason, and even like because probably before she just professed her love to Geralt uh, for what didn't seem like a lot of reasons i was like i don't know like little eye seems like a nice person uh like interesting it's a cool career right, like right they're having some witty banter or she's willing to call him out on his crap and i was kind of like i don't know like i kind of was team essie <laughs> for a bit I was like, dude, like, forget Yennefer. She is dealing with so much of her own crap, and she's a sorceress and all this stuff. Right. I was like, why, why not Essie? Exactly. And I think there's a very Witcher version of trying to get across this message, which is he liked the scent of Verbena. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh-huh. He liked the scent of Verbena, although the scent of Verbena was not the scent of lilac and gooseberry. And it never will be. <laughs> yeah, and it's <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, there's just there's nothing wrong with Verbena, but it's it's not Yennefer. Nope. And for Geralt, it's just hard. There can be all these great things going on for someone else, but if they're not Yennefer, he just it's not going to be there for him. That love if he can feel it <laughs> right Ger- Geralt's not alone in finding an interest in this idea of a relationship where both people are miserable right Dylan <laughs> are you talking about quote quote and Dana and your yeah. infatuation with, with them as a in a relationship this idea of I, like everyone's miserable this party going on here uh, like me too, as the person <laughs> infatuated with the Quoth and Denna relationship. Yeah. Is that <laughs> the thing causing me pain as a I was member of this party? I was just wondering uh, your views on the Geralt-Yennefer relationship, and I figured you would be semi-positive considering your appreciation for the Quoth-Denna relationship. You know, yeah. They're pretty similar in certain ways. Gotcha. Where they I clearly comp- love each other, but I'm not going to call you out on the air here. <laughs> well, I thought you were comparing me, be, like when you used infatuation of the Quoth and Dana relationship. I thought you were saying, like, me being into the Quoth and Dana relationship, despite the fact that it causes me pain, was oh, kind of yeah. like a yeah. meta version of. Yeah, that of too, all these I suppose, because this out. whole Geralt the end of her thing is kind of that same vibe of like. Uh, the misery of them just not being able to get make it work, you know? Yeah. I think I definitely appreciate the idea that Sapkowski is toying with those concepts. Like, I very much enjoy that. I do think it's more intriguingly done with a lot more space to explore it, of course, in those giant kinkiller novels compared to these Witcher short stories. But I, I do appreciate the Quoth and Denner relationship more, I would say. But yeah. I, I do like Sapkowski 
toying with it here. Um, I think, unless you got more to say on that in particular, Charles, I do want to talk some about, as you mentioned, uh, Little Eye's fate at the end of this. Yes. Yeah. Please do. Well, so (laughs) they basically get their moment, uh, Little Eye and Geralt, or they are, I'm trying to keep our clean podcast (laughs) rating here. They get to be together. Yeah. Wink, wink, nod, nod. (laughs) Um, And then it has this kind of, I almost said bittersweet, but it's pretty much just bitter. And to it where it's like, Dandelion writes a song about their time together, but the song wasn't true because what actually happened was that they never saw each other again and she died of the pox four years later and that kind of comes out of nowhere maybe not with the tone of the witcher overall which is kind of subverting these fairy tales and making statements about like well stories would do this but uh, the witcher does that you know, right, which are zags where stories, fairy tales zig or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how you said when we read Shard of Ice, it reminded you of a TV show, The Office, where <laughs> as that moment reminded me of an episode of Futurama, right? The, the famous one oh, with the dog, where it's spoilers. like, it's this, yeah, spoilers, yeah, spoilers light, for spoilers Futurama. This for is fu- actually, I think this is actually, like, if you haven't seen that episode, first of all, check it out. I'll, Jurassic I'll Bark is the name of Jurassic it. Bark is so good, yeah, but like, basically, it's like there's this whole episode, and then right in the last. 30 seconds they just they just decide to hit you with this really depressing like scene and then end it's like what the heck you're gonna do me dirty like that just like have this whole (laughs) comedy episode and then in the last moment the last scene be like oh yeah here's something really really sad to think about on your way out so that's kind of what happened here right it's like they had their moment whatever it was fleeting but then this whole thing where it's just like um yeah they never saw each other again she got the pox or whatever and consumption or whatever they called it and she was buried with only two things she was buried with her loot and then the pearl that girl gave her which means she died like loving him and never getting to see him again which is like dude what <laughs> that's so sad she never got yeah. over him until Brutal. she died that's hard yeah I've got the the quote here from the oh, yeah, book. Later Several on. years later, Dandelion could have changed the contents of the ballad and written about what had really occurred. He did not, for the truer story would not have moved anyone who would have wanted to hear that the Witcher and Little Eye parted and never ever saw each other again. About how four years later, Little Eye died of the smallpox during an epidemic raging in Visima about how he, Dandelion, had carried her out in his arms between corpses being cremated on funeral pyres and had buried her far from the city in the forest, alone and peaceful, and, as she had asked, buried two things with her, her loot and her sky-blue pearl, the pearl from which she was never parted. Aww. <laughs> and there's a bit more, but that's pretty brutal, huh? That's so sad. I, it's a nice touch that... It was Dandelion who's the only one that knows the whole story. And it, they, they made a point. It was an, also a nice touch where it's like he wrote the song and then never played it again. Mm-hmm. So it's like he played it once on the sand like that day. 
and then never again. And then he was the one that buried her alone. You know, it was like a, it adds to it. And you know, for sure, they're putting this in the show. Like, <laughs> for sure. You think? Yeah, I mean, they'll have to change. Tough. They'll have to change a lot of the <laughs> way Little Eye is portrayed, I think. I think but they it's got will, potential. But it has. I mean, it's so touching. And like, I was listening to the audiobook and I would see the comments like on YouTube of, and they were all referencing this moment in A Little Sacrifice. Mm. They were like, all the comments were about Essie and the ending of this story. That's fair. So I feel like it's, it's that. It's the Jurassic Bark of the Witcher series. <laughs> For sure. It is a very poignant moment. Yeah. <laughs> There's also something weird with the <laughs> The last line is, right before the dawn, while it was still dark, a hungry, vicious werewolf crept up to their camp, but saw that it was Dandelion. So he listened for a moment and then went on his way. That's how the story ends. It's really <laughs> the last line. It's like a werewolf was like, oh, crap it's dandelion let me, let me see what he's up to hear some tunes he turn this up in my headphones yeah. and then was like all right that was pretty good huh on to somewhere else yeah right i mean he had such a great ending and then was like oh and then a werewolf was there but he didn't do anything <laughs> it's like okay man cool thanks andre <laughs> you know because there's yeah. not a whole lot of monsters in this book compared to the first one so i think he's like oh shoot there hasn't been a monster in like a hundred pages a werewolf was there <laughs> so uh and the only other like little sacrifice is she nuts the mermaid sacrifices her mermaid tail for legs so that she could pursue a relationship with the duke and possibly stave off a war with these uh sea creatures that Geralt had discovered uh that had like a gateway to a door to an underwater kingdom, right? So I think the idea of the little sacrifice for Sheenots is like, one, she sacrificed her legs to be in a relationship with the Duke, but I also think she kind of sacrificed her independence to stave off a war kind of a thing. So this is the only other piece of the story that happened before <laughs> we move on. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, I guess. That's the parallel that we had going on the whole time. Uh, yep. So... That's a little sacrifice. Anything else before we move on? Let's move on, Charles. All right, we are moving on to the titular short story, Sword of Destiny. Geralt heads to Brokilan, the last forest, to deliver a message to the Queen of the Dryads, Lady Eithne, from King Venslav. During his mission, Geralt meets a young princess named Ciri. This is it. It's happening, Charles. This is our first exposure to Siri in the books at all. That's which right. It's very, very discrepant from the way Siri is portrayed in the show, where she's clearly a main character from the first episode. Correct. And yeah, it's interesting that her how she is portrayed is very different. She's a lot younger, I think, from what I can gather. It's like she's no more than 10 at this time in the. Uh, in the short story right. and in the show, you have to think she's in her teens. And then, yeah, it's she's quite literally a snot-nosed brat. Yeah. This, like, there's a lot of mention to the fact that her nose is running a lot. Right. <laughs> and she, yeah, it, she, I don't know, in the show, it feels like they went for more of an Arya Stark type vibe with Siri where she's 
kind of a little more rough and tumble and she's a little more even though she's a princess and she is pampered in some ways she's a little more streetwise i think than she is in in this where she's just this 10 year old brat it's fun to yeah. yeah i mean it's fun to watch Geralt interact with her there's a lot of really adorable interactions that yeah. the two of them have For where sure. <laughs> Geralt will tell her stories as she's trying to fall asleep and she's kind of being a spoiled princess yeah she's like my mom will like imprison you and he's like oh please don't tell her like (laughs) surely we can come to some kind of a you wouldn't do that to me would you (laughs) and she's like i would (laughs) you know it was very cute um do do you remember if in the show that when was the first time Geralt and siri met was it at the end of the something more uh was that the first time they ever even saw each other Yes, the first time they ever even saw each other in the show, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, loyal listeners, is the moment at the end of the first season where they finally find each other. Right. But it's very different, obviously, in the books. Right. I mean, that scene happens in both mediums, but I kind of like that they get this little moment years before to meet each other and have a bit of history so that they do actually know who they are by looking at each other, you know? So that's kind of what I like most about this story. Geralt finally meets his destiny, right? He pieces together after a few days that Ciri is the princess of Sintra and is the child of destiny. And then he's like, peace, (laughs) and leaves, you know, which I thought was... uh, really interesting and that's kind of what this whole this whole book is about of Geralt facing his destiny and he's always kind of running away from it and um he and we find out more in the next story but he's been kind of walking he has no interest in Siri he's trying to keep her away and doesn't want to get involved and all these other things and Siri kind of finds a way into his life and into his heart a little bit in this, you know, like you said, those moments where they were like talking to each other were, were pretty endearing, I thought. And, um, it's an interesting introduction to Siri. There are benefits to the show of getting to see her in Sintra during the attack, escaping and all that. But I I like that we do get this even earlier moment where they do get to meet each other and have a history before they, by destiny brings them together again in that ending moment charles i'm impressed you made it through that whole time without doing your classic lamenting that we see queen calanthe <laughs> fall out the window like three times <laughs> it came to my br- it came to it. my mind i was like <laughs> yeah I- i'm glad we don't get that side of calanthe in this book you know <laughs> but <laughs> yeah i'll say the the short stories i think do a better job than the show in driving home this you can't run away from destiny aspect where Mm. in the show you you know it's a thing and destiny will of course conspire to put siri and Geralt together uh but in the books you get to have this kind of like Geralt can go about trying to live his life and Siri's just going to keep popping up. Yes. And it's even, I, I guess we'll cover 
how kind of the, the nail in the destiny coffin that happens in something more when it comes to Geralt and Siri. Right. But this is kind of a moment where, yeah, Geralt, you can try to run. You can try to hide or just live a life not informed by wanting to interact with Siri at all, at all. But she's just going to pop up in the least expected of places because this is what Destiny does. Right, exactly. And Geralt throughout this book is always asking people if they believe in Destiny, right? And at this point, Geralt's like, uh, he's talking to Lady Ithne and she's like, the sword of destiny has two blades. Not accurate translation, but that's what she says. And then he's like, um, yeah, it's it's me. And then the other side is death. Like, that's the only destiny that we have as, as individuals, right? Is that we're going to die. That's our destiny. And everyone's trying to tell him, nope, there's more to it than that. And he's trying to fight it, right? Because we know from the first book, from The Last Wish, this his mentality of like the lesser evil. He's like, I'd prefer just not to choose. You know, it's like, don't make me a part of this um, evil in this world, right? I'd, I'd rather just not choose. And then now he's faced with Siri, who everyone's telling him is his destiny. And he's like, you should go back to your grandma, you know, and, and live a life and I'll live mine. And I'm not dragging you into all this. And I'm not fighting people for the sake of embracing a destiny that, I'm not even sure I have, you know, so that's where we're at in this moment. And I think it's very interesting that he chooses to kind of make sure Siri's OK, but distance himself and and try and move away from her. And just how Destiny keeps forcing them back together is, is entertaining. And I feel like it's more earned in that last moment of this book, which is also how season one ends, which both are great moments. But I feel like we have a little more context in the books with this whole idea of destiny like you said yeah they're different and i i it sounds like we're starting to move towards something more anyway here charles so maybe True. uh unless you do have uh, more it's, i'm not it's crazy sort of about brokalon and the dryads and lady ithne you know that whole tired conversation of like oh men destroy everything they touch they want to come into our pure world and destroy it it's like okay like I've heard that one before, like a thousand times. It's still interesting, this idea of what makes a monster and like all that and humanity kind of coming in and trying to destroy Brokolon. But Brokolon is not that great. You know, they, and that's what kind of Geralt says. He's like, you kidnap little girls and force them to become uh, dryads or whatever they're called. Yeah, dryads. And, you know, how is that any better than what men do? You know, that kind of thing. So, and then we have one of the dryads who, is kind of on the fence about how cool she is with her situation. You know, she's kind of like, I remember my former life. And it's like, oh, actually, no, I'm okay with being a dryad. So um, that kind of stuff was fine. But I don't have much to say about it beyond that. It's kind of one of these tired themes that we see a lot in fantasy. And that's pretty much it for me. Mm. Well, you know what else was tired for me, Charles, was the phrase, this is Brokalon. Yeah, this like, oh is Brokilon. Did you listen to the Peter Kenny uh, audiobook at all? I was switching back and forth. Because and... her the way he does Ithne is good, but also it makes you like that much more annoyed at her because yeah. she's always like he's always enunciating all the words like this mm. is Brokilon. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, bro. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
Brooklyn. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Yeah. Right. Like Very that's how the. Yeah, that should have gotten three hundred. So that's how, when I was reading. That's how I was imagining. Uh, yeah, I think we're on this. I well. was just kind of over Brooklyn by the time we ended that story. I was interested in Siri, and I love those cute little moments with Geralt. Yeah. Which surprising coming from Andrei Sapkowski. We I haven't seen that kind of cute dynamic between two characters yet i think he really had a good vision for Geralt and siri as a duo and now we're finally starting to see the benefits of that relationship that's been in his head come on the page because if you look a lot of these other relationships with Geralt and women and children and stuff are kind of antiquated and not really that lived in but this is like a really touching honest relationship one of the better ones 100% agree. I kept thinking this is so adorable. Yeah. And I, I think that they're going to miss a little of that in the show when those two start interacting just because they did age up. Yeah, series. and so series like, already can't... kind of like grown yeah. up in so many ways from yeah. the siege of Sintra and all that. So, yeah, for sure. Well, we'll see. I mean, they're both really talented actors, so. Yeah, but I just think it, it wouldn't be sensible to... Uh, like make Geralt interact with her in the way that Geralt is interacting with 10 year old Siri in the books. It'd be like super condescending and patronizing. Right. I'm sure they'll have a great dynamic because like you said, two great actors mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to what they do decide to do there. Um, but it won't be like this or hopefully it, it isn't because it would be weird with aging Siri up. For sure. Well, we'll see. I have high hopes, but who knows? So we're leaving Brokelon, and now we're going into the last story, and in my opinion, the best story in this whole book, Something wow. More. Geralt is gravely injured while saving the merchant Yurga from undead monsters. Yurga puts Geralt in his cart in a desperate attempt to find help. Geralt takes one of his healing potions, which knocks him unconscious and causes him to dream in memories. So... Interesting setup to this story. We finally get a monster battle, you know, so that was exciting. He's it was entertaining to watch him take the potions and we're up from the perspective of Yurga and Geralt's like, go away and hide, don't come out. Because um, he doesn't want to see him like taking all the potions because we know he gets all kind of freaky looking when he takes the potions and it's super dangerous and all that. So that was fun. We got a nice little battle and then he's gravely injured. You know, we've been here before with the beginning of the last wish, right? And now he's recovering, right? He's riding in the back of this merchant wagon. Who knows where Yurga's taking him to get help, to take him home, whatever. And then um, Geralt's kind of like hallucinating in memories. And he's going back to all these different moments in his life, kind of leading him back to like his involvement with Siri, back to um, where this book ends. And just every moment I was really enjoying it you know the, the theme of the book really comes home here i think on Sapkowski was like kind of wrapping it all up and bringing it home and i was uh really entertained by it i thought i was entertained by it too charles and i think you did a great job of pointing out how this kind of ties it all together by a taking a similar format to the first book in terms of I'm injured and I'm having all these memories. Right. So it's kind of this like frame story with the sh- even shorter short stories yeah. uh, mixed yeah. in. So right. that, that does make all it over the like... place with his writing order and chronology <laughs> and all this stuff. So confusing. Yeah. But I do, but that 
kind of reflecting this first book does help make this feel more conclusive as the final of the two Very short true. story books before the Witcher saga. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciated that, even though it was a little confusing. There was a point where I was like, wait, why is he going to uh, try to retrieve Siri now? And she's six here. Like, why does everyone keep saying she's six before I realized like, Oh, this is in the past. Right. Gotcha. Right. He's bouncing like, all over the place. Kind of like what the show does. But, um, we get this little moment at this like harvest festival with Geralt and Yennefer and they kind of reconnect and, but still agree to not be together, which you're like, okay, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, we're, we're caught up to date with Yennefer, I guess. Um, so that was interesting. Cause I guess this idea like of something more it, in this conversation of Geralt and Yennefer in this moment, it's, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the kind of bring home theme was on all of that. But I guess it's just kind of like, you know, we, there needs to be something more, but you know, something's missing here, but between the two of us in order to be together, you know, and they both kind of agree to that. And that's kind of the theme there. I would say, did you catch anything different on that one? (laughs) Not really. I'm kind of with you, Charles. I, I don't think this is one. This is another Where, thing. Like, like Andres Kofsky always writes and it's like, it's you need something more. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't just say it over and over in every different situation in hopes yeah. of finding meaning in it. Like, oh, truth's a shard of ice. Love's a shard of ice. You need something more. He needs something more. It's like, okay, okay, okay. Um, I get it in most, but I feel like I'm kind of reaching for this one. To, to... I, I felt the same exact thing where sometimes the title of the short stories is so awesome and the way that he weaves it throughout is amazing like in the first book the last wish uh, the lesser evil is like oh it's so good how he chooses to use that at multiple points and for multiple perspectives with renfrey and um uh yes right nails it with that one and here i i was kind of grasping at straws as to what this sent something more thing was it was almost for me a little bit more like it's kind of the last the last short story here so it was like something more well like i love extra. it and when it comes together at the end i think it's a really strong way to end this book and i really loved it but in this beginning part with at beltane with girl and yennefer whatever um then we move on to Geralt visiting Sintra. Um, he visits visits Calanthe, and Calanthe again trying to test fate and and destiny. I like Calanthe so much. She's um, she's willing to kind of <laughs> take on destiny as an enemy, you know, to, to try and force the situation. You can't falter for trying. Very admirable. One of my favorite characters in that respect. And um, she's like choose which one is siri and then that will be the one you'll take and he's like none of these are siri i just you wouldn't put siri out here (laughs) this is obviously a trap and so they had that nice little uh back and forth (laughs) but she did put siri out there charles they kind of renege on that i know that conversation happens but i am pretty confident they they point out that among the group of boys there's one girl and she kind of like wipes the tears away from a kid that falls or something like that. And Siri, uh, I think that's Siri. Um, 
and I think that they kind of backtrack on that conversation where Geralt's like, she's not out there. And Well, Geralt's calling her a boy this whole time also. So that's another thing that happens where um, originally I thought it was a translation mistake that they kept saying boy. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's on purpose because um, uh, Pavetta's playing it. Oh, no, not Pavetta. Oh, shoot. What's her name? Serious. No, Calanthe. Oh, Calanthe's playing it cool, right? Where Geralt's yeah. assuming it's a boy. And then she's all like, yeah, right. I'm not going to bother correcting you on that one. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. And Geralt says he's like, I have no intentions to um, take the child. I just wanted to look at the face of destiny and see if I can understand what destiny is and all of that. Um, so that was kind of interesting. It also kind of gives us a look into how like Geralt views fate and destiny and things like that. So uh, pretty interesting. Uh, we move on to his next uh, vision. Well, not vision because now we're back in the real world. And he's getting healed by a sorceress which turns out to be uh, Geralt's mother, Visena, which I thought was interesting. I like this conversation where they both kind of know who each other are, but they're not acknowledging it at all. And they slowly do start to acknowledge it. It was really well-written, really interesting, because you as the reader don't know who Visena is. Like, it's written like Geralt already knows who it is. But it hasn't been stated, and we're kind of guessing, like, is this his mom, kind of? Like, that's what's happening here? And um, it it plays out. There's a few touching moments here and there. Um, and this idea that, like, Destiny, like, the mom was running from Destiny, refusing to ever find her son and learn about who he's become or anything like that. There's this line where girls like, I know from how long it's been you haven't tried to track me down you're just waiting for destiny to kind of force us together you know so you're starting to piece this idea of destiny together and, and that was interesting as well in this moment right and in some ways it's cool to see that as part of Geralt's journey to figuring out hey I'm not gonna run away from Siri, and that Siri's gonna keep popping up anyway and it's kind of like Geralt having this interaction with his mom is destiny saying hey you two are tied together you're going to interact at some point as you noted Charles she hasn't sought that interaction out right. but it is going to happen right. and Geralt has kind of been in that situation with Siri where he wasn't seeking it out and then it happened right. uh, and now he's through these influences that are happening in the we're seeing in these memories uh, he reaches a point where he's like uh, he's going to end up meeting Siri again and I'm presuming though we don't really get there in this book uh, he's not going to run away this time he's just going to say look I'm going to I'm going to have to deal with this um, but yeah we don't really get to Right, you also get almost like stories. So true, and you also get this almost like therapy moment for Geralt, where he finally gets to kind of give his peace to his mother. Like, you didn't give me that name, you didn't raise me, blah blah blah. And like, you know what they do when they make people witchers. So you see how he's really still kind of suffering from the um, 
you know, he's always been self-deprecating when it comes to him being a witcher. And so you finally get to see that pain come out of him when he's talking to his mother. And then there's this nice moment at the end where she was like, I want you to know that, you know, um, I gave you that name, not, um, oh, what's his name that raised him. So, yeah. uh, that, I don't know the name, but I would know it if I, if we said it, but, um, <laughs> that is a nice touching moment there. And it's cute. It was interesting to see, you know, Geralt's mom and all that stuff, I suppose. So, um, was he actually from Rivia? No. He said that he learned to affect a Rivian accent, basically. Right. But I didn't not know if that was. Rivia. He was like, I'm Geralt of Rivia. So he's definitely not. He doesn't I know where sure he's she was from, saying. so he made yeah. up a place. Uh, and he picked a place that would. Oh, Rivia's like... not even real? Rivia's or... real. Oh, no. Rivia's real. But he made up a country of origin for himself to kind of have more of an identity and he picked the place strategically as a place that's not too controversial or whatever. Um, so yeah, he's not really from Rivia. He's not from anywhere. And I think that kind of messes with his head a little bit too, um, gotcha. which we all see, which we can see when he talks about it with his mother there. He kind of like his voice breaks or something like that when he's describing it. And the mom's like, stop, I can't hear anymore. I don't want to hear more. <laughs> like she's trying to get him to stop confessing all this stuff. You know, she doesn't want to hear what happened to him as a result of her kind of giving up. Interesting also that he is the son of a sorceress. And then you have Yennefer, who's a sorceress trying to get pregnant, you know, so it's interesting little uh dynamic there i suppose doesn't mean anything but just kind of fun it's something it's we also a... find out at some point here that Geralt was not a child of surprise right he was just given up right i believe so because she's a sorceress and just i don't think had any intention to raise a child and it's because he's the son of a sorceress that he was able to undergo the trial of grasses so successfully and then they even say that because mm -hmm. he took to it so well they gave him even more yep. tests and that's why he's particularly talented and also why he's got white hair which was a side effect of the additional um stresses of more trials than the, even the typical witcher would have been put through so i think Geralt also kind of struggles with that part of his identity as well about how torturous it was to become uh the white-haired uh wolf <laughs> witcher so uh, as everyone calls him. as everyone calls him the white-haired wolf witcher yeah that's it <laughs> which just rolls off the tongue uh, you know that's more of a direct translation so <laughs> uh let's see so then we go to sodden hill Geralt sees all the names he's there's 14 names of the um mm -hmm. sorcerers and sorceresses that gave their lives defending the hill right and he's going one by one and he's kind of having memories of some of the people he recognizes and he gets down to the last one and he's afraid to read it and who shows up but death right i think it's death and um death or destiny it's yeah I'm pretty well, sure it's death because it's like we come back for me it's like not until the it's, end or whatever i just take people by the hand was kind of the thing so they're not alone in that moment so i think right. that death makes more sense than destiny here though i don't think 
it's named. Right. So, yeah, and this is the moment where it's like, are you going to read the last name? And then we're talking back to, does Geralt have feelings? And he's like, death is basically like, you're afraid, aren't you, to read this last name to discover that Yennefer's dead, you know, and, and you'll be heartbroken because of that. And uh, that was a nice touching moment. Then he's also like, you know, are you coming for me? And he's like, oh, and she's like, oh, no, not yet. You know, you've got lots more stuff to do. I'll come back for you <laughs> after you do There's all your stuff. There's a whole Witcher song. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole five <laughs> yeah. book series yeah. coming up. You know, I, I, I have a feeling you're going to be okay for now. <laughs> Sapkowski still has a lot more money to make. <laughs> so very true. Need to keep rolling here. So, um, in the spirit of that keeping rolling idea, we find out Yennefer is indeed not one of the dead. Um, Geralt yet again tries to rescind on the law of surprise, uh, saying like, "Oh, I don't really need whatever you find. You know, I'm I'm kind of over this." And I, you know, it's it is what it is. Um, I like that in the books, it's, um, how did this play out? How did the Law of Surprise yeah, kind of play so out? I think I remember how the Law of Surprise plays out here because it was so different from a moment I loved in the shows, but I also love the way it plays out in the books, Right, where he somehow in the books is like, just give me like Law of Surprise to this guy who Geralt saves and obviously saves him in return. Um, th- so he actually demands it in the books. Uh, then when he's getting up, he's kind of like, look, you've already done me a favor. I know I asked for law of surprise, but like, it's not that big a deal. And the guy, w- and the guy is like, I have two kids. I can give you one of my kids actually. Um, <laughs> even if it's not law of surprise, like this is what you're actually looking for is someone to make into a witcher. And Geralt's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm kind of. I could see that as being something that makes sense here. And then obviously they, they end up getting uh, back to this guy's house. And uh, what's there? Because she even said like, Oh, my wife can't have kids anymore. Like I know what you're look, you're expecting and it's not going to be there because we can't conceive or whatever. It's just not going to happen. And like you said, who's there but you you get this fun moment where it's the where the it's the merchant and the merchant's wife right and the wife is like oh you wouldn't believe it i hope you're not mad but uh, you know i found this um beautiful young woman she's one of the refugees or whatever and yeah. and then you're like okay and it's like oh and then, then this mousy haired girl comes running up with the boys <laughs> or whatever mousy haired yeah. it's all like everyone in that family is always described as mousy haired <laughs> in the text or flaxen so, hair know, right or whatever away. yeah and um yeah and then it's that moment right before that moment though there's one other interesting conversation that Geralt recalls with Dandelion where Dandelion's telling him about the invasion of Nilfgaard and how Sintra fell yeah and Geralt's pretty convinced that also at this moment that Ciri's dead so you have a whole bunch of things piling on right you have oh the wife can't conceive and you're reneging on love surprise and Sintra fell and Ciri's probably dead and then Geralt has this conversation with Dandelion. Do you believe in in destiny? And he's like, sure. Uh, but then <laughs> Geralt's like, well, this idea of something more. It's like this idea of like, what does it all mean for us to be destined to just run into each other? There has to be more than the fact that we're just supposed to be together. You know, whether that's Geralt and Yennefer or with his mom or with Ciri. 
this idea of like there needs to be something more than just us destined to keep running into each other all the time right there needs to be this love component this like connection and that's what you get right at the end right they discover that this orphan girl is siri and somehow siri and Geralt ended up together again only unlike brokelon this time um they're ecstatic to see each other right they thought Gerald thought she was dead. Well, he actually does love her. And that's why that beautiful moment at the mm. end where they're embracing each other and Siri asks if she's his destiny and Geralt's like, no, you're much more, which I thought yeah. was uh, really cute and sweet. <laughs> Great way to gotcha. end this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that actually just went right over my head when I first no. read it, that, that was a reference to <laughs> something more. <laughs> no, so, it's the whole yeah. point. <laughs> No, well, happens the best of us or me anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's a that's a great moment, and it's it is awesome to see that, like this this bit driven home of Geralt can ask for love surprise again and kind of gets destiny back in the loop, and when you do that. <laughs> like who's who's gonna be waiting for you but Siri again because once destiny is involved these things are are gonna happen so right and it's interesting that it had already happened basically by the time girl asked for law of surprise because Siri's been at that cottage for a while so I don't know it's kind of interesting um yeah I just really love the end where Siri's like am I your destiny because that's she gets a Scottish accent by Peter Kenny and and girls like no you're much more or it's like the idea of there needs to be something more needs to mean there needs to be this connection but by implicating that she's much more he's basically saying that he loves her like a daughter basically or ah, which okay. because it's like you're not something more you're much more and so this series ends with Geralt taking on the responsibility of Siri and kind of embracing more of his destiny which is what brings this book to a head and what kicks off the Witcher saga where now um Geralt and Siri and Yennefer are thrown into this political intrigue and all that with the Nilfgaardians and whatever but um, the short stories, like this idea of being much more to me speaks such a great last way to end this. I'm glad there wasn't a, a sneaky werewolf at the, at the It's like, you're much more. And then the werewolf off in the corner decided to, to, to go away. <laughs> you know, he actually stuck the landing this time, right at the end of the book yeah. too. <laughs> no, that's an awesome line. I think it is, it, it's interesting in contrast with the the show has Geralt get offered law of surprise by the right. uh, guy who saves him as like, I'll give you that. And Geralt's like, no, please just give me a beer. Yes. That was like great. an amazing thing. in the. I loved that in the show, but I think they kind of had to do that because it would have felt like why on earth Siri, would he ask for law yeah, of surprise again? Exactly. He hated it the first time. Yeah. Which I kind so, of felt that way too. I, why even ask for it in the very first place in The yeah. Last Wish? He's like, give me a child and I'll raise it to be a witcher. I'm like, why would you even want that? You, you don't like, you hate being a witcher. It's like, yeah. it's, uh, I don't know. But kind of went along with it to get to this point. 
you know, which is a really yeah. great moment that now kicks off a whole series that it is a beautiful moment. We may or may not read in the future. <laughs> we may or may not. Um, anything else to say before we uh, kick it off? Kick off the outro? Nah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. What'd you think of y'all. the Witcher series? Now that we're done. Oh, that's not a question for the fans. It's a question think. for the fans, but I also wanted to understand what you, what your takeaways were. Ah, I really liked it. I'm glad that we read it. I, I think it's given me a larger appreciation for the Witcher. Mm-hmm. I think when it was, I'd only seen the TV show. I was kind of had one perspective on it as kind of this like Game of Thrones Z inspired like dark gritty fantasy, and now I I see it as uh, like an interesting balance of some of those dark gritty elements while also having some of this, I, I've been using the word whimsy a lot and I'll stick to it, uh, like whimsy to it. And a little more of these, uh, this willingness to just lean into these high fantasy elements mm-hmm. while the, the shows may be a little like insecure about those. Yeah. Like it's not willing to just dive all in on destiny or, having just gnomes popping in wearing hats and saying bye 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 which is probably for the best to give in our current state but there's something there's something more to i was gonna say if you like the witcher tv show and you're looking for something more you would definitely find a home here I, i i think what the show is missing that i really like in the books is it's the way it kind of adopts and also subverts the idea of fairy tales and and just like folklore and things like that, like it takes on The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, like horror stories, you know, it, it embraces more of those moments in part of its writing, which you don't really, that what makes a monster thing is much more fleshed out in the books than it is in the show. The show is just a really great piece for those three actors, right? Siri, Geralt, and Yennefer. And like, like you said, it's more Game of Thrones action character driven political intrigue whereas the show is leans a little more on the whimsy likes to take You're on some the of the more fairy tale yeah that's what i meant to say i don't know what i actually said but the books lean more into the whimsy lean more into the fairy tale roots um you get a lot more of that inspiration you see uh in the short stories of the witcher which i liked diving into it i liked analyzing it over analyzing it maybe in some parts but um i don't know i like the format of these short stories and i enjoyed our buddy read of the witcher collection the short stories as did i charles all right well thank you everyone for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast we have finished our buddy read of the witcher short story collections which means we're moving on to friends pitching fantasy and then off to book of the ancestor by mark lawrence two powerhouse series you are not going to want to miss yeah you won't want to miss those Uh, where can they find us buddy yeah (laughs) they can find us on a lot of social media platforms where at the FTF podcast at Instagram or Facebook if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the FTF podcast one. You can email us at 
dmpodcast at gmail.com. And sure, that's it. Great job. Thank you all for listening. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.